Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, we are in our Book of Revelation study. This is session 31, entitled The Scroll of the Lamb. And what we want to do uh, tonight is we want to really kind of finish what we started in last uh, session. I told you that uh, it was going to kind of be a a bit of a two-part teaching because there was just so much content, we weren't going to be able to get it all done in one session. So in, in the session prior to this one, what we did is we looked at the scroll that's found in Revelation 10 and, uh, and other places in uh, Old Testament in, uh, in Jeremiah, I'm sorry, in Ezekiel 2 and 3, and in Daniel uh, chapter 11 and 12. We looked at this scroll, and uh, we were talking about what the similarities are between these passages, and how does this scroll play into the end times, and, and what is it that's unique about this scroll? Well, last week, with uh, great intention, we left out its, uh, maybe its most... Um, important uh, passage, uh, and that is the Revelation uh, 5 and 6 account of this same scroll. So obviously we're doing a study on the book of Revelation. We want to make sure that we are looking at this scroll in the book of Revelation. And so what we're going to do is if you can put last uh, session together with this one and kind of call that part one and part two, uh, I think that we're going to see some, um, some information about this scroll that is powerful, provoking, uh, intense, a lot of words, a lot of great words all lined up together. So uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to read a portion of chapter 5 and a portion of chapter 6 because we're looking at this same scroll, uh, at least I believe it's the same scroll, and we'll we'll talk about some of why I believe that uh, tonight, and then we'll break up into small groups and do some discussion stuff. All right, so Revelation chapter 5, 1 through 9. Follow along with me if you want to. Here it's on page one, or you can open your word. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one could open the scroll or even look inside it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw the lamb encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down. And they sang, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So a quick little recap of what's happening here. John is seeing into the heavenly throne room. And he sees this scroll. And this scroll is the main center of attention along with the lamb. I mean, in fact, in, in Revelation 5, arguably the scroll is as big of a deal as the Lamb of God himself. I mean, the subject matter of Revelation chapter 5 is the scroll, the scroll, the scroll. And what's uh, on this scroll is uh, powerful, in t- you know, I- intense content that no one is capable of holding except the Lamb who is found worthy. And the Lamb is then, uh, he goes and he takes the scroll out of the hand of the Father, And now he has got it. And that's now what we march into chapter 6, which chapter 6 follows chapter 5. And the main subject of chapter 6 is this same scroll. So now let's read chapter 6, and we'll do a little bit of recap on it, and then we can jump into the dialogue. All right. 
chapter 6, and this is going to be bottom of page 1 if you're in the notes. It's uh, 1 through 17, but I'm just kind of skipping around if you can't tell. I watched as the Lamb opened the seven seals. Then there before me was a white horse. Its rider rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Another horse came out. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. And there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. And there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. I saw under the altar the souls of those that had been slain because of the word of God. And they were told to wait until the full number of the fellow servants were killed just as they had been. There was an earthquake, and the sun turned black. The stars in the sky fell to earth, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth called to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Now, what I just want to give you here, I told you I was going to do a little overview. This whole uh, chapter 6, the subject of this scroll being opened by the Lamb is repeated over and over and over. I didn't give you all those references, but it's repeated at least uh, six times in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 6, defining how all these judgments are coming about. So what we've got here is kind of the follow-up from chapter 5. Chapter 5, it's who's worthy to handle this big-time, end-time document? Who is it that's worthy to touch it, to hold it, and to open its seals? Jesus is found worthy. He takes it. Chapter 6, he's now opening it. And as he opens it, we get the shock of our lives, if it's new information to you, that as the Lamb is opening these seals, horrific judgments are being released on the earth by the Lamb of God. Okay? As he's opening these seals, these seals are on the scroll. Okay? So that's what we've got as our backdrop here. Now let's talk about this scroll. Now we're going we're to go into some depth about this scroll that we've been kind of uh, reading about here in chapter 5 and 6 of Revelation. This scroll describes the Lamb's leadership. It's not all of what describes the Lamb's leadership, but it's a significant part of it. Remember a few weeks ago we did a session on the leadership of the Lamb. Well, the scroll, as we see what's written on it, as we see what happens when he starts reading it, as we see him taking it and then acting upon him taking it, we actually are able to get some insight into his leadership style, into his leadership strategies and some of the things that he's going to do at the end of the age. And so as we did that study on the leadership of the Lamb, we don't want to make the scroll of the Lamb something unique and different divorced from who he is and how he leads. It's a significant part of his leadership strategy for the end of the age. He's executing a long-awaited plan from heaven. This scroll includes the long-awaited plan of heaven, desire and purpose of the Father, and even the, the uh, proposed uh, desire of, of the Lamb, knowing that one day he's going to get to do this, knowing it's his destiny to unlock this scroll and to open its seals one day. You just, if, you ever, if any of you have ever had a, a prophetic word that you really believed, the Lord gave you a word and it, it was confirmed in ways that you were clear, I know this is for me, you're anticipating the day when you're going to actually live out that word. Jesus has got a prophetic word. It's called Revelation 6. And he knows this is in his future. And he is anticipating this day. It's a word he's been given from the Father. 
You will do this, son. You are worthy to take this scroll, and in the hour it's put into your hands, you're going to go and you're going to act on it, and you're going to release these uh, components of the end-time plan, and you're my man for the hour. Now, let's look here. This is the most talked-about document in heaven. It's got all the attention of heaven. This is a, a profound thought. I made the, the point last week at least as far as number of references, number of verses, number of you know, uh, passages referring to it, the scroll of Revelation six, uh, 5 and 6 gets a lot more attention in the book of Revelation than the Lamb's book of life. I want you to process that. If you just look at the number of verses, the amount of attention, the scroll that we're looking at, this document in Revelation 5 and 6, it's the talk of the town of heaven. It is a big deal upstairs. This is the document that Jesus is, is long awaiting. It's his prophetic promise, if you will. I mean, there's a lot to be said about this scroll. It is a very, very important document in heaven. There's nobody up there that's unaware of the scroll that we're talking about here in Revelation 5 and 6. All right, I gave you the primary passages that we've been looking at in the last uh, session and also in this one. And then I want to give you a little disclaimer as we're about to jump into uh, what, what I hope will be helpful, uh, but it's, again, I told you last week, you're going to kind of have to pay attention to the details or you're going to get a little lost. We're going to be there again tonight here in about five minutes, about or one minute. I want to give you a little disclaimer before that, though. I believe that the scroll that we were looking at in last session and the scroll that we're looking at tonight, and again, those passages are uh, Revelation 5 and 6, Revelation 10 and 11, which we looked at last week, Revel, uh, Daniel 11 and 12, which we looked at last week, and Ezekiel 2 and 3, which we looked at last week. I believe this scroll is the same scroll. And I don't have to be right about that point, but I believe that that's the case and that uh, there, there's, there's a thought process that these two scrolls are different. And I want to uh, just tell you, I'm giving you my opinion tonight, but I'm going to give you the why. I, I, I like to not have uninformed opinions. I don't think as a teacher that it's super helpful to have opinions that don't have any biblical founding. I, I don't know that that's super helpful to anybody. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my reasoning from the word of why I think that this is the same scroll. And then you can believe what you want. All right, but for the sake of this study, I'm going to talk about it like it's the same. Now, top of page three. These are reasons why I believe it is the same scroll. And then what I'll do is I'll break down the reasons uh, that have been proposed of why it's a different scroll, and we'll talk about each one of those points. But part D, for why this is the same scroll, the first, and, and when I say the same scroll, I mean the, the passages from uh, Daniel and uh, Revelation uh, 10 and 11, and then here in Revelation 5 and 6. I, that's the, those are the passages I'm describing where I'm saying this is the same scroll as opposed to a different scroll. First, its content is clearly about the end times. In either case, no one would argue that point. The content about, uh, that's written on the scroll is clearly end times information. Second, it has writing on both sides, and that's a bit unusual related to uh, uh, documents and writings in the Bible. It's not hyper unusual, but it's, it's not the norm uh, for a document to be written on both sides, uh, at least that the scripture doesn't say that it is. But the scripture in both of these, uh, in, in this case around this scroll, makes the point clear that it has writing on both sides. Next, it has judgments written on both sides. So it's not just an end-time document. It's an end-time document with judgments on both sides. 
Next, it's found in the hand of Jesus. Either one of these uh, scrolls, if, if it's two different ones, they're found in the hand of Jesus, which leads me to believe it's the same scroll. Its content has been sealed up. So it's not just a scroll or a scroll in heaven or a scroll about the end times. It's a scroll that has been sealed, and the point that has been sealed is uh, emphasized uh, greatly in, in all the passages about it, at least in the Daniel uh, 11 and 12, the uh, uh, Revelation 10 and 11, and then also here in Revelation 5 and 6. It's been sealed. The fact that it's been sealed up is made a huge deal with many supporting details. That's, that's a little bit different than the last statement. It being sealed up could be just a one-off mention. It being sealed up and that being made a big deal and being emphasized multiple times, to me, that's a separate point entirely. And there's a lot of information about, bo- about these two scrolls, and again, I think it's the same scroll, that uh, is related to it being sealed up and that being a big deal. Next point, it's identified, the scroll is identified as being sealed until the end specifically. So it's not just that it's sealed and someday it'll be opened. It's sealed until the end times. Next point. It's said that no one can look inside, and yet John is able to see inside. And so I just, in, uh, in all the cases that it's talking about, this scroll being sealed up, there's a bit of mystery there, but it says here in Revelation 6 that John is able to look inside of it. So we'll, we'll look at that point here a little bit more in a minute. It's of the utmost importance to God and heaven's attention. Uh, in either case, if we're talking about the, the Daniel chapter 12, or we're talking about the, uh, the uh, Revelation 10 and 11, or the Revelation 6 and 5, in any of those passages, we're looking at a situation where this scroll has significant importance to the throne of heaven. So it's a, it's a throne-important scroll, whatever the case, whatever uh, passage you're looking at. It's highlighted uh, as, uh, to John for the end-time uh, end church. So this passage, or specifically the, uh, the book of Revelation references, are highlighted as end-time uh, of, of importance to the church of the end times. Important to the end time forerunners for them to understand the battle plan. That's highlighted in, uh, in Daniel chapter 11 and 12. Remember we were looking at all the uh, verses that talked about the wise ones will understand, but their understanding is related to the scroll that's sealed up. We've got here in, uh, in uh, Revelation 5 and 6, all of heaven's attention is on it. John is given it, and then it begins to tell us the battle strategy at the end of the age. All right, I'm going to skip down to, uh, to number three. Reasons against it being the same scroll. What I'm going to do here, I'm going to give you a, a handful of reasons that have been presented of why this is a different scroll. And I'm just, tonight, I'm just trying to be thorough because I'm convinced it's the same scroll. I'm, you know, I've got a bunch of reasons. I'm trying to unpack that for you. But I also want to make another disclaimer. Really, whether it's two scrolls or one scroll makes almost no difference. I mean, it really doesn't. Uh, because either way, it's coming from God, it's end time purposes, and so whether it's the same scroll or it's two different scrolls really doesn't make much of a difference. But part of the reason that I'm unpacking all this for you tonight is I want you to have the, the tools you need to be able to look at this scroll and understand the importance of it, understand its place in heaven, understand its purposes in the end times. And so part of the way that we're approaching this is the excuse to do a little bit of apologetics on it. 
All right? So reasons against it being the same scroll. So there are those that say, this isn't the same scroll. These are two different scrolls. The scroll in Revelation 6 is not the same scroll as the scroll in Revelation 10. The Revelation 10 one is the same as uh, Daniel tw uh, 12, and it's the same as the Ezekiel 2, but it's not the same one as Revelation 5 and 6. That's the statement, okay? Part of the, the thought process on that is one uh, would say that no one can look inside the Revelation 5 scroll. So it's said, no one in heaven and earth or under earth could open the scroll or look inside it. While that statement is true, that no one could look inside it, but we see in the Daniel chapter 12 and then also in the Revelation chapter 10 verses or passages about the scroll, we see that you can look inside that one. This Revelation 5 passage says you can't look inside, but then the very next thing that happens is we get to see inside it. So in Revelation 5, no one can look in there. Then we see the lamb take it and he starts opening it and we find out exactly what's in there or at least part of the content that's in there. So to me, the hang-up of... This is a scroll that no one can look in, but the other scrolls you could potentially see in. I, I think that's an a erroneous point because you can definitely see inside it. All right, moving on to part B. The word used for scroll is different. Some would say that point out and rightly point out that there are two Greek words used to describe scroll or that we translate as scroll in the book of Revelation and in the New Testament. Okay. There's two words, and this is going to get a little nerdy, so hang in there with me. There's two words. One word is biblion. And the second word is biblaridion. And these two words are both, uh, they're, they're, they're different words, but only slightly different words. And so the thought process is, well, when John is writing about the scroll in Revelation chapter 6, He's using a different word than the scroll when John is writing about the scroll in chapter 10. That's true and not true. First, the word biblion is the primary use. So we see it multiple times in the book of Revelation. It shows up again and again and again. And I want to tell you this, and this is important detail. When the word biblion is used in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Revelation, it refers to a wide variety of stuff. It refers to the scroll that the seven letters are to be written on. It refers to the scroll of the Lamb in uh, Revelation 5. It, it, re it refers to the sky rolling back like a scroll in Revelation 6. And it's also used, it's the same word that's used to define or to, to uh, describe the book of life. The scroll of the book of life. The same word, Biblion. Alright, so it's the primary use uh, a Greek word in, in the book of Revelation. What about this other word that's a little harder to say? Biblaridion, all right? How, how does this one fit in? Well, first, it's only used three times in the New Testament. It's only used three times, and all three times are found in Revelation chapter uh, 10, okay? All three times. Part of the reason that that's important is because the only passage that we have to compare it to is the one passage that it's in. We don't have any other New Testament reference. So it's a little difficult to know exactly how is this word different than the other way, the other way that the word scroll is written, biblion, because we don't have a single other New Testament reference point. That makes it a little bit difficult. Second, the root word is the same word. So in the Greek, it's the same root word. It's not two different root words. It's the same root word. 
And it's what's called a, this, is, uh, the, this term is what's called a diminutive. And a diminutive, really in just its shortest version for, for folks who didn't do so good on their SATs, uh, like me, uh, a diminutive means it's of the same root word, and it only has a slightly different meaning. It doesn't have a major different meaning. It doesn't go way different. It's, a, it's, a, it's of the root, and it only has a slightly different meaning. So you could really say this is more or less the same word, even though it's, it's slightly a different Greek word. Next, and this one's the kicker. John uses the two words interchangeably in Revelation 10. He uses the two words interchangeably in the same exact passage. Revelation 10, I wrote it down there for you and I gave you the references. Bottom of page four, we've got two, uh, we've got the word scroll used and uh, in, th- in two or three of the cases uh, in, in this passage, it's the Bibliaridion and in one case in the same passage referring to the same scroll, it's Biblion. All right, so, you know, to me, potato, potato. But I'll just throw this out there, too, because it's one more point that I think is helpful. Many times in the end time scriptures, in the end time prophecies, many times, it's not like sometimes, it's many times, the Lord will use different language to describe the same event in order that we could actually have varied understanding as opposed to just the same statement over and over and over. We've got multiple uh, expressions, explanations, word usage to describe the same event over in, in various prophetic scriptures. So th- this is not a hang-up to me, the fact that some would point out that it's a different uh, Greek word because it's really not. It's the same root Greek word uh, with very little uh, variance. All right, next, another point that people would make is the scrolls are different. The Revelation 10 scroll and the Revelation uh, a sixth scroll, they're different because they describe different content. The one in Revelation 10, and which that parallel passage is the Daniel chapter 12, that scroll defines and talks about the broad strokes of the end times. It describes more of the, the, uh, the referencing of the, the entire storyline to some degree. Whereas the scroll in Revelation chapter 6 gets fine-tuned, and it describes just the events of what occur in the seven sealed judgments that we see in Revelation chapter 6. To me, this is easily rectified. Uh, First is that in one scenario, and we see this all the time in the Word, in one scenario, the scroll is talked about in its entirety. And in another scenario, we see just one aspect of the scroll being described, which is what I think is happening in Revelation chapter 6. Next, the judgments are written on both sides. We see very clearly that in either case, whether you're talking about the scroll uh, you know, from, from this passage or from this passage, we see that the scroll is defined as having writing written on both sides. And so that's an important detail uh, to connect the dots. And if that doesn't make a lot of sense to you, then just go stare at it until it does. All right. But again, I just want to make this point really clear as we move on. So what? So what if it's the same scroll? So what if it's two scrolls? Either way, God wrote them both. Either way, they're sealed up until the end. Either way, they're about the end times. So really, whether it's this or that, it, it, in my mind, it doesn't make a lick of difference. Uh, but I think that it's clear that it's the same scroll. But if I'm wrong, I, it won't change anything else in my end time theology. So I just kind of give that to you. All right, 
Let's identify this scroll. Let's talk about it. Now, I will tell you this. Moving forward, I'm going to refer to this scroll as one scroll, all right, because I feel like I've made my point clear enough. All right, so now let's talk about this one scroll. This scroll is dynamic. This scroll is, well, let's say it this way. The Word of God is alive and active. So when we talk about the Bible, it's unlike another book. You got a Christian book, that's cool, but it's not alive. You got the Bible, it's alive. What does it's alive mean? It's alive, that's what it means. It's different. I don't know how many times I'll be reading a Bible verse, and while I'm reading it, the singers on the stage start singing that exact Bible verse. How does that happen? The Bible is alive. I know that doesn't make any sense. It like blows the mind, but it's real. The Bible is alive. Well, I'll go ahead and say this. Anything Jesus drafts, anything God drafts upstairs in heaven, it's alive. There are some of these mysterious qualities about it. And this document, you can't compare it to a normal document. You get as far as trying to compare the Bible to the newspaper. Okay? You cannot compare this document to other just human documents. Because it's not like that. It's mysterious. It's unique. It's, it's Jesus' prophecy for the end of the age. It's, there's a lot to this document. So we want to give it a little bit of a higherly elevated, you know, position, thought process. This is an intense book. All right. First, this document transcends time. I want to give you some of the examples here. This is, this is different. This document transcends time. First, it had physical form in Daniel's day. Daniel was holding a scroll and he's told, seal it up. It's got physical form. Then it had new physical form in John's day. Because we've got John in Revelation chapter 10, and he's holding it. And now, it's, so it's physical form, but, it's, but he's writing on it, and it seems to be either different or the same or upgraded from what Daniel was holding. Okay? Then it's in heaven now, and presumably has been for a very long time. We see in Revelation 5 and 6, this scroll has been there, and it's the talk of, of the, the elders and the living creatures, and everybody's talking about this scroll has been there for quite some time, and so it's in heaven, but, but it was on the earth before when these guys were, you know, when Daniel was uh, writing. Then it was there before John got there. Pay attention to this. The document was there before John got there, but John helped draft it. The scroll was in heaven before John got there, but John helped draft it. That's different. That's just bizarre. When you look at Revelation chapter 10, you see John is, he's, he's told to seal it up. He's told that he's part of this process. You know, but, but the document was there before because he just got done talking about it. He, it's, that's profound. Next, it has future purpose and fulfillment. So this document, it's not about the past, it's not about now, it's about the future. It's accessible to some degree now. It was on the earth, it's in heaven now, but it impacts both heaven and earth. This is just, I just want you to kind of, I just threw out some phrases there to get you thinking, this document ain't your mama's document. All right, this, this is something different. This is an unusual document. It's alive, it's active, it's, it's powerful. Next, this document starts an end time countdown. When Jesus opens the first seal, that's the beginning of the Great Tribulation. 
There's three and a half years. So when Jesus opens the seal, so this, this document isn't just a document. It's a document with a counter attached to it, a time clock. Because as soon as Jesus opens that first seal, the beginning of the Great Tribulation, the three and a half year period, starts. What kind of a document is attached to an end time time clock? This is just dynamic. This is an unusual, unusual document. This document is the title deed to the earth. Now, what I mean by that, when I say that, and I've, I've heard you know, Mike in, in Kansas City, Mike Mickle teach that, and I, I agree you can't find that term anywhere in the Bible. So don't go looking for it. You won't find it. But here's what I mean by that term. Okay? In the garden, Adam and Eve gave over dominion of the earth to Satan through disobedience. It was given to man to be the guys and the people and the gals and the families and the, the people of God. It was given to mankind to have dominion over the earth and to rule it and reign it and to be the guys in charge. When they sinned, they handed over authority to a significant degree, not entirely, but a significant degree. They handed it over to the devil. Bad. Jesus wants it back. And Jesus is going to get it back. And God, you just, you just see the, the security of God in allowing God giving dominion to a man. Hey, Adam, you're my guy. I am giving you, I'm in charge of the planet. I'm God. I made it. I'm in charge. You're in charge. I give it to you. Do good. You got me? You're in charge. Knowing full well in five minutes, he's going to do something epically stupid and hand over the authority to Satan. And God permitted the whole process because he's like, listen, we got this. <laughs> I know how to fix this thing. I'm going to have another man get it back from the devil. And he's got to be a man or it won't work. Because I gave authority to a man and a man gave it away to the devil. i got to get a man to get it back from the devil. Jesus is fully man. Fully God. It's the most mind-blowing thing. Is he God? Yes, 100%. Is he man? Yes, he is 100% a Jewish man with an actual weight. Like it fluctuates around the holidays a little bit, I bet. But, but he's got a real weight. He's a real Jewish human being. And he is... He is going to get the authority back. I just want to give you one of the verses that just talks about the reality of Satan's role in this hour. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel and the display of the glory of Christ. There are a number of verses that talk about Satan in that sort of authoritative role in this age. Jesus is going to take the earth back from Satan. This happens in relationship to him opening the scroll. When he starts opening the scroll, he's releasing judgments that are the war against the Antichrist, which is, is Satan's main guy. And ultimately, Jesus is stealing authority back from Satan on the earth. All the judgments that we see in the book of Revelation, it's God's redemptive plan to get the planet back under the control of his Messiah, Jesus. And so the leadership of the Lamb, we see this. Jesus is orchestrating in this scroll. Who is worthy to take the scroll? Why does it matter? What's a big deal? Who gets a piece of paper? Who cares if it's this guy or that guy or the Lamb? It's what this paper means. 
Who is worthy to take the scroll? Who is worthy? No one is worthy except one, the lamb. What is it that he's worthy of? He's worthy of everything. And we're told that he's worthy of all praise and power and honor and might and glory. We're told that he is worthy of all the facets that are necessary to rule the earth. All the facets necessary to be the human king on the earth, ruling the nations. So when we talk about this being the title deed, again, you're not going to find that term. What you are going to find is it's the, this uh, scroll, there's only one who's worthy to hold it in his hand and only one who's worthy to open it. And when he opens it, it starts a time clock of getting the planet back belonging to Jesus, back belonging to God's man. Okay? So then it's going to be uh, no longer under the dominion of the enemy. It's the title deed. Right now, in significant ways, the God of this age, Satan, has that title deed. Has the, has the authority over the earth because it was given to him in the garden. You know, when Jesus was in the, uh, uh, in the temptation, the 40 days, Satan looked at Jesus and he said, hey, let me show you a vision of all the earth. He takes him up on a high mountain. He shows him the whole, whole re, uh, you know, regions of the earth. And he says, in essence, he says, that's mine. I have authority over that. I'm the God of this age. Do you want me to give you that authority? Because it is mine to give. Because Adam gave it to me. Because God gave it to Adam. Do you want that authority? And Jesus said, I'll pass. I'll get it. I'll, I'll get it in a minute the right way. I'm not going to bow down to you and get it the wrong way. But I am going to get it. But I'm going to have to go through quite a hassle called the cross and all redemptive history. But I'm going to get all of those regions back. You just wait and see. So Jesus says, no, I am not going to worship you. That's crazy. But, this, but Satan was right in his ownership of it. He's the God of this age. He has authority. Jesus is getting that authority back. This is the most dynamic document in history. I'm going to unpack it just a little bit, and then we'll break into groups. The most multifaceted message you can imagine is on this scroll. To peer into the scroll, let's just be real here, it's mysterious, it's broad in scope, it is prophetic, it's end times. To peer into this scroll requires the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You cannot get understanding about this scroll at just a casual read. You won't get it. The Lord doesn't want you to get it. It's been sealed. It's going to require the spirit of wisdom and revelation because God jealously guards it to ensure that only the hungry will understand. This is a, a kingdom practice. God veils many things in order to produce hunger because you read it and you look at it and you're like, I don't understand that. And God's like, well, how hungry are you? Not real hungry? Well, then you will understand complete diddly squat. Congratulations. Because that's what I'm going to give. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They will be filled. <laughs> the ones that hunger, the ones that thirst, they'll get more. The Lord says over and over, faithful with little, faithful with much. So the Lord is desiring, he's trying to provoke a generation in order to catch the truth. I gave you a couple of verses here, Luke 8, 10. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. Doesn't that just sound like this scroll? I mean, I don't think it refers only to this scroll, but I think this scroll is certainly in there. Secret information in heaven. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. Ephesians 1.17, a verse we pray around here kind of like constantly. 
I think helps us to understand the way to get the clarity. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, I keep asking. I ask it again and again and again that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. So that you may understand. You're going to need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And if you have that, you can understand things you can't understand without the spirit of wisdom and revelation. How do you get the spirit of wisdom and revelation? Paul said, I keep asking. I keep asking. I'll tell you what, if you're not praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation over yourself, you might want to start. Because Paul kept asking for the church of Ephesus. And he liked Ephesus. These were good folks. He says, I keep asking because I want you to grow in the knowledge of God. I want you to know him better and better and better. I want you to know his plans better. I want you to understand his purposes better. I want you to know his mysteries better. I want you to have the secrets of the kingdom of God more and more and more. I pray that you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let's touch on just a few pieces here. We're not going to go deep in this, but I'll just give you a couple ideas and then we'll break. First, the scroll includes detailed prophetic revelation. What is this scroll? This scroll, what's the message on the scroll? Detailed prophetic information about the future. Detailed. Next, the scroll includes the seven sealed judgments. What kind of a document has judgments that are forced to happen when reading it? I I mean, there's no choice. When this seal is opened, bad things happen on the planet. There's no way around it. If that seal is broken, then bad thing happens. Next seal, bad thing It's a trigger point. There is no document in the world. I mean, even in judicial process, there's ways to like filibuster and like slow things down and like people get in the way. But when you're talking about this scroll at the end of the age, this scroll, it's not just prophetic information. It's seven bombs that are attached to it. And when those bombs get triggered, the bomb happens on the planet. That is just different. That is so different. That is not a normal scroll. Next, the scroll includes the seven thunders, which were sealed up. Now, we're going to do a session on the seven thunders a good ways down the road because I think there are whispers in the scripture of what those are, just whispers. Next, the scroll includes the end time action plan. It's not just prophetic information about the future. It's the action plan. What's going to happen? This scroll includes the end time action plan. And this scroll, there are significant impacts when it is unsealed. The unsealing of this scroll, I just give you a few different ways that this flushes out. There are impacts in the physical realm, natural life on planet Earth. There are impacts in the spiritual realm. Things that happen in the spirit and in heaven and in the heavenlies and in, in, in the realm of authority. There's lots of things that happen. Next, a physical document is opened. So this isn't just like a, 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 a mythical or a symbolic scroll. There's a scroll in heaven. That it, we're talking about a real scroll. It has, there's a physical document opened. But in addition to a physical document being opened... There is spiritual content discerned. Spiritual content that's made available that is, be, that is becoming clear that you just got to imagine when Daniel is being told, seal it up until the end times, a scroll being sealed or unsealed by a prophet doesn't have any bearing on humanity unless there's something more going on than a document being physically sealed or unsealed. There has to be a spiritual principle attached to that sealing 
and that unsealing. There has to be content that's made available or not available. That sealing isn't just a, a, a poetic, it's not just a natural sealing, it's a spiritual sealing. And so there's spiritual content that's discernible, that's related to this document. The church, this is a significant part of the church growing up into fullness as the content increasingly is made known. The church is supposed to grow up into its fullness before the second coming. The only way the church will reach its fullness, there's a bunch of, uh, of sermons that could be preached on that, but one of the significant components of the church reaching its fullness is the increased measure of the content on that document being made known. The church entering into the fullness of participation with the God plan, with the end time strategy, with the purposes of the Lord, with intercession. Intercession for what? The only way you can pray the right thing is if God told you what to pray. Otherwise, you just might be guessing. There's a lot of stuff in the end times the church is supposed to be praying, but the only way we can pray it and be in partnership is if we understand the content on the scroll. We've got to grow in that clarity. So there's a lot of significant uh, components here, and we're going to break now into groups. Go ahead and uh, transition to our time of Q&A. For those of you who are joining online, uh, we'll repeat the question so that you can hear it. Um, Let's go ahead and start over here. Okay, great question. So uh, we've been talking about the scroll as the title deed of the earth. And again, that's not a biblical term, but it's it's kind of a a biblical concept. Uh, And the question was, well, when Jesus rose from the grave, he was given the keys uh, to uh, to death and uh, to life and he was given a lot of keys. And so uh, so what is what's the correlation there? Um, Jesus in his first coming bought everything for success at his second coming. But he did not enact most of what was bought at the first coming. So he's defeated death, yet you're going to die. But when you die, you'll never die again. And when he comes, there will be no more death. But right now, there's death, even though he's overcome death. And now he's got the keys to death. He, He owns that. But it's only at his second coming that he starts to enact so much of the leadership which he has purchased in the cross. And so, you know, in the, in the purposes of the Lord, there's even a lesson in there for our lives. There are moments where the Lord says, it's done. I've had him say that to me before. A season is done. A situation is done. The victory is done. But then there's still yet a season before that thing actually manifests in its doneness in my eyes and uh, we could actually even relate that back to the cross because Jesus's first coming was to prepare the way for his second and so uh, he could have no second coming had he not come first and lived perfect died on the cross resurrected and so it's all a setup for the second and he knew all that before and that's what so much of the confusion was about and the time of his earthly ministry and the first coming they're all like we know a lot of bible prophecies about what you're supposed to be doing. And you're not doing those things because those were all prophecies about his second coming and not prophecies about his first, but they didn't have the discernment to know that. And God on purpose veiled the fact that there was a first and a second coming 
I mean, that point until he's come once and left isn't super clear anywhere in the Old Testament scriptures. You're like, I would have thought what the guys were thinking. Like, why aren't you doing the stuff you're supposed to be doing? I believe you're the Messiah. Do the Messiah stuff. He's like, actually, that's round two. There's a round two. And so, um, so anyway, so I would say that so much of the mystery veiled in the scroll being the title deed, that kind of thought process, it's so much of the fullness of the victory of Jesus that he is withholding the manifestation on until he comes, kicks the door down, and takes the planet back by force. Uh, I, we find in Isaiah in a number of passages, he comes back as a warrior making war. Making war. No war? Oh, yes, there will be. I'm going to come make one. A warrior coming to make war in order to be able to vanquish the enemy, take physical control of the planet, which will be under the jurisdiction of the Antichrist in that hour. So uh, hopefully all that rambling answered something. Okay, uh, back. Andy, what was y'all's question? Oh, terrible. All of them. What? <laughs> Andy, Andy says, he says, what, what language do I think the scroll is written in? I don't know. One that can be read. I, so, so I'll just, I'll answer my, 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 my answers here. Okay. So, so. John was Jewish. He's probably writing in Hebrew. Okay. Daniel was Jewish. Probably was writing in Hebrew. We guess. Okay. I actually don't know if Daniel grew up in Babylon writing and reading Hebrew. I actually don't know the answer to that question. In fact, there'd be, there'd be a lot of reasons why he wouldn't have been. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but, uh, but so possibly, you know, Hebrew. But, but really... Whatever language it's written in, we just got to understand we're talking about God who, you want to think about how effortless it was for God to do the Tower of Babel, confuse the language things. What God did was, up until that point, there was one language being spoken, and in less than a second, God invented 6,000 languages. Boom. And now, and now everybody's speaking 6,000 different languages, and it was all in a, in a moment's notice. But to God, when his creation speaks, he hears. And it's all one language to him. So does that then reverse back? I, I want to go back to the point about this scroll while being physical, this scroll also being spiritual and being discerned. And so you discern it in whatever language you speak. And you're discerning the content of the scroll. Now, when they read it in heaven, how are they going to read it? I, a tongue of heaven, a tongue of angels, Hebrew. I don't know. I, it could be any of them. Uh, as far as, I mean, I, I can make a case for any of them. So, uh, good question. Though you were trying to stump me. I know you. Uh, all right, here. Uh, Caitlin, this group. So the question is, is the scroll tangible, physical, touchable in real life? Or is it just in vision language, the content is needing to be captured in a, in a visual point of reference, reference, so it's called a scroll? 
I think it's absolutely a physical scroll. But that scroll can be eaten and taste sweet. And not only that, when it's eaten, it's still there. And Jesus holds it in his hand, but when he holds it and he unfolds it, bombs happen on the planet. I mean, it's like the most crazy dynamics. It's, I would say this. When talking about this scroll and a number of other heavenly realities, the four living creatures, you want to try to train your brain to think outside the box instead of thinking super tactile. You want to try to, you want to, try to go up there <laughs> and see it through the spiritual lens of this is not like things we're used to on the planet. It's what we know of here, scrolls, paper, books, it's a shadow of a, of a real thing in heaven that is ultra dynamic, that, that is layered, that's multifaceted, that's alive, that's, that yes, has physical representation. And the reason I would say that is we've got the Lamb's Book of Life. We've got the books were opened, Revelation chapter uh, 20, 20. Uh, the books were opened. There's, there's books. There's, heaven has physical documents. And this one is talked about in the same way that those are talked about. So yes, it's a physical document, but how big is it? And how, I don't know. This is a mysterious thing. And so I would just say, I think you will find a significant path to revelation trying to be less exacting about how big is it? How many rolls of a, you know, if it's scrolled and it's rolled up, how many rolls? How many? I think you'll be you'll you'll find more clarity being less exacting, than and and being having your your mind a little bit more. Uh, I can't think of a good way to say that. Uh, more open-minded uh, about what this scroll is and how uh, how how dynamic it is, uh, because there's a lot going on there, way more than than what we're used to. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.